We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRankGood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be referencing on the podcast can be found over at rickrengood.com. Now is a great time to sign up if you are looking for a written version of this podcast where I go through the actual model inputs. If you want to copy that or use some of it or use none of it, but just have it as a reference point, plus the actual players that I run through that rate out the highest in all of the stat categories. Um, a lot of those guys that I will be discussing today, but you can find all of that over in written form at rickrungood.com. It is an incredible community. It is the largest golf uh, fantasy focused and fantasy golf betting database of its kind featuring all stats from the majors, the corn Ferry tour, we even put players' live results or Euro Tour results in there as well, as well as Corn Ferry 2, obviously the PGA Tour. We also have ownership projections. My weekly DFS final thoughts article where I run through ownership for every range, talk about good chalk versus bad chalk, talk about whether or not you should play a wave advantage every week. We go deep into the weather and... Of course, that Slack channel is the best place to reach me throughout the week for any questions or concerns. So sign up today using promo code Andy. That is the important part if you want to help me out. And we would love to have you as part of the team. All right. Coming up on this podcast, we're going to talk Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill. Maybe pound for pound the hardest non-major golf course that players see all year. Certainly the hardest par 72 golf course that players see all year. And um, a lot of that is based on the setup with the rock hard greens and thick rough. Probably this is probably setup wise, the closest that we get to a U.S. open all year, especially since the new superintendent at Bay Hill came into the picture in 2019 uh, which we will talk about very shortly. Uh, I am recording this now on a Sunday afternoon after wanting to record this on a Saturday afternoon uh, to get this out a little bit earlier, but 
got a little busy yesterday, uh, and uh, here we are. So hopefully I can get this out to you uh, Sunday evening. You can still have some time on Sunday night to go through uh, some of your early picks and get you super ready for when odds drop on Monday morning. Uh, so without further ado, let's dive right into the course. I don't really have much else at the top that I want to talk about. The Arnold Palmer Invitational. This event was founded in 1979 as a successor for the Florida Citrus Open Invitational. So since 1979, it has been played at Bay Hill Club and Lodge, a public golf facility just outside of Orlando. Uh, It is one of only five tournaments on the PGA Tour schedule that has an invitational status, which uh, basically just means the field gets cut to between 120 and 132 golfers instead of your typical 144 or 146. Uh, So mathematically, it should be a little bit easier to get guys through the cut here. Uh, and after a grand total of a week long break, we are now back to an event with elevated status, which, uh, has essentially just come to mean that this is a $20 million purse and pretty much outside of the live players, uh, all of the best PGA tour players will once again be here. John Rahm. Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, Max Homa, Tony Finau, Patrick Cantlay, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Sung J M, Will Zalatoris, uh, and then as well as some former winners as well, Jason Day, Tyrrell Hatton, and Francesco Molinari. Uh, let's dive right into kind of the specifics of the course. So, It's a par 72 measuring 7,466 yards. It was designed in 1961 by Dick Wilson, uh, who's fine. Uh, I just didn't think he, he designed a lot of golf courses in a period of golf course architecture that I didn't particularly find to be super inspiring, but, um, he's done a lot of positive work and I think, uh, I think this one is is one of his best. We have Tiff Eagle Bermuda Grass Greens measuring 75,000 square feet on average, running 12 on the stem. So very, very fast greens. The fairways are Bermuda Grass. The rough is Bermuda Grass overseeded with perennial ryegrass, three inches. Uh, 84 bunkers at Bay Hill. This is a very heavily bunkered course and I do think it's a pretty damn good week to look at sand save percentage water comes into play on nine separate holes so not as much as the Honda Classic um, but like Florida courses uh, water is a big part of the story here um, and uh, what else uh, the rough I would say is probably the biggest defining feature here um that three inch rough is pretty crucial um and they've really let the rough grow out here the past couple of years and we've you know we've seen some pictures in the past couple of years of how thick the rough is this is the longest rough um that players see all year 
It's longer than the rough at Torrey, uh, or it at least plays that way. It's longer than the rough at Riviera. It's longer than the rough at Honda. It's not quite U.S. Open rough, but uh, but the rough is a big issue here. So more on that later. Uh, and in my opinion, you know, this is a harder golf course than PGA National. It plays faster. It plays firmer. The rough is thicker. It's basically just that it's a par 72. And when you give pros four par fives, um, par 72s on average on tour just play so much easier than par 70s because you get those two extra par fives. But this is absolutely one of the hardest par 72s on the schedule last year under extremely windy and firm conditions uh, that honestly some players started to claim a little bit were borderline unfair, which I don't know if I totally agree with. But it played as the third hardest course on the PGA Tour, tour schedule last year in 2020. It was the hardest course that they saw all season, including the majors. Uh, that was the Tyrrell Hatton year where he won at four under par when it was incredibly windy uh, and these greens were rock hard. Um, and then in 2021, it was the sixth toughest course on the PGA Tour. <clears throat> so it played a little bit easier, but not much. Uh, and then last year, again, it played as the third hardest course on tour, including the majors. So over the last three years, Bay Hill has actually gotten a lot harder. And I have a theory for what the reason for this is. Uh, and it comes down to the fact that in 2019, they hired a new superintendent, Chris Flynn. And since Chris Flynn took over as super superintendent, it has played a lot harder over the past four years. The winning score has been minus 12, minus four, minus 11, minus five. So be careful with Rory McIlroy winning at 18 under par in 2018 or Matt Avery winning at 19 under par in 2015. I just think it's a different, it's, it's a bit different of a golf course now. Uh, and basically the reason that it got harder, uh, they actually widened the fairways a bit. Uh, Bay Hill has pretty standard 33 yard wide fairways. But they also removed a lot of the rough around the hazards and the bunkers. So it does make it a lot easier now to hit it into the water and the bunkers because <clears throat> those areas close to the water and the bunkers uh, feature a lot more shaved off runoff areas. Uh, whereas the rough in the past kind of used to act as a backstop. Uh, but now one of the things that Chris Flynn did um, is there's a he, he cut out a lot of the rough there. So there's a much greater chance of the ball rolling into the hazards. Plus, the rough that they do have, they made a lot longer. So that's why this course has played a lot harder over the last three, four years. Longer rough, hazards are more prominently in play, and we can probably continue to see this trend of the winning score be closer to, I don't know, high single digits uh, under par 
you know, over the last three years, somewhere between four and 12 under, depending on how windy it gets. But I do think that the days of 17 or 18 under winning this tournament in the past are gone. So long as Chris Flynn is in charge, by the way, shout out to Chris Flynn. Um, I think we need more guys like this in positions of power that are willing to rock the boat and make the players just a little bit uncomfortable. There aren't many courses that you are going to find outside of the U.S. Open venue weekly that feature three-inch rough and greens that run 12 on the step meter. So personally, I don't understand why we don't see more of that week in and week out at the PGA Tour. I think a lot of these guys don't like to get embarrassed, but when you throw out a $20 million purse, I think they say, okay, this is probably um, a good prep for me as we head into major season. Uh, Once we get into the actual course course, Uh, The par threes at Bay Hill are a beast. They all measure above 200 yards, ranking as the third, fourth, ninth, and 11th hardest holes on the course. Every single year, it features the longest and most difficult set of par threes on the PGA Tour schedule. There are five truly challenging par fours. Uh, And they all measure over 450 yards and rank as the first, second, sixth, fifth, and eighth toughest holes on the course. Last year, it ranked as the toughest set of both par threes and par fours on the PGA Tour schedule. Um, The iconic finishing hole at Bay Hill uh, ranks as the hardest hole on the course playing to a historic uh, scoring average of 4.3% and featuring a bogey rate of over 22.1%. In fact, all five of the par fours that measure over 450 yards all feature over a 20% bogey rate. So the par fives are where it is absolutely essential to take advantage of those holes. Um, as they rank as the four easiest holes on the courts. All of them are reachable in two by most of the field, and all of them feature a birdie rate north of 32.5%. Uh, the 16th hole, in my opinion, turned into a little bit of a joke. I just don't think there's room on the PGA Tour for par fives that measure under 520 yards. I, that's a par four in 2023 on the PGA tour. Uh, and this one measures 511 yards on the scorecard with a scoring average of 4.47. So again, when you make a 500 yard par five on the PGA tour, that is a par four and a half. Um, and it has a birdie rate of 51.7% and an Eagle rate of 5%. Um, So last year, these par fives, they did rank as the 11th hardest set of par fives on the PGA Tour, but compared to the par threes and par fours, which respectively ranked as the hardest and second hardest sets on the PGA Tour schedule, uh, the par fives are a cakewalk. And it's extremely imperative to score on the par fives this week. 
So five of the last 10 years, another thing that I wanted to point out, we've had one of the betting favorites win here. Now, two of those years were Tiger. So I don't know how much stock you want to put into that. But Bryson won at 12 to 1. Rory won at 20 to 1. Jason Day won at 14 to 1. Scheffler coming off a win was 16 to 1. Even Molinari, who was one of the best players in the world at the time, was in the low 30s. And then we did have this really weird Matt everything where he won kind of back to back at 300 to 1 and 66 to 1. And Mark Leishman, for some reason, was 100 to 1. I guess he was in really bad form at the time. But scanning through the leaderboards and such, I do think this is a ball strikers only spot. I think this is the type of course where better players or better ball strikers, I guess I should say, do possess a legitimate advantage right out of the gates. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about the course. I do think this is a lot less of a brute force course than, say, Torrey Pines, which I think will be a popular comparison. Like, even just looking at some of the leaderboard uh, from the last couple of years, you've got some absolute bombers like Bryson and Jason Kokrak and Rory. You've got some absolutely elite iron players like Corey Connors and Keegan Bradley and Paul Casey and Will Zalatoris. You've got some absolute grinders and elite short game guys like Jordan Smith, Tommy Fleetwood, Matt Fitzpatrick, Christian Bezadenhout, and Matt Wallace. Uh, And, you know, the year before in 2020, Very similar. We got some dominant drivers of the ball like Bryson and Keith Mitchell and Rory and um, Scotty Scheffler and then some great iron players like Morikawa and Hatton and Hoagie and Goots and some great short game slash grinder type players like Fitzpatrick or Bezadenhout and Patrick Reed. So in my opinion, there are really three big ways where you can get it done here. I think this is a week where you really want to be pretty balanced between looking for dominant off the tee guys, really good iron players, and elite short game guys. And in my opinion, you absolutely have to be elite at one of those things. Like in 2020, for example, uh, Morikawa finished top 10 gaining 10.6 on approach, but losing 5.9 short game and putting. Hatton has done it all with the irons. Bryson gained seven off the tee and was just pretty much okay in everything else. Kokrak and Mitchell also gained a ton off the tee. And then you have guys like Spieth, who finished fourth two years ago, losing strokes off the tee, but had awesome irons and short game. Putnam uh, finished that same year fourth, losing strokes off the tee, gaining a ton short game and putting. Bezadenhout lost 1.4 strokes ball striking, but gained 10.6 short game and putting. And last year, Scotty Scheffler actually lost strokes off the tee, but he ranked first in the entire field in, uh, in in approach. So to sum things up, 
I think the most important thing that you want to try and identify here, especially when you're trying to find guys, I guess, in like lower priced on the board in the 6K range, um, the one thing I am thinking of is like, do they have a weapon that can set them apart this week? Which I think you need on this course. Are they an elite driver of the ball like Keith Mitchell or Kokrak where they can just, or Bryson for that matter, or Rory for that matter, where they can just overpower those par fives? Are they elite iron player like Keegan or Corey Connors where they can separate themselves by hitting a bunch of these rock hard greens? Or are they an elite scrambler like Fitzpatrick or Bezadenhout or Matt Wallace where if the conditions suddenly get tougher and suddenly everyone is missing greens, um, like in my opinion, suddenly those guys have a huge advantage. And again, just my opinion, but I think that you need to be really, really good at one of those things. And I think you should probably let the weather dictate which one you favor the most. If it's super windy, you know, probably want to give the tie break to short game guys. Um, because you'd imagine a lower greens and regulation percentage, even from some of the better iron players, if it's a little bit less windy, probably want to give the short the uh, the tie break to the dominant off the tee guys or the really great iron players. I think you can take any of these three routes, uh, or just a balanced mix of all of them. Um, I'm gonna try and maybe you know I still have a lot of thinking to do with my outright card. I think there are a lot of great options this week. But, you know, I'm going to try and think about, okay, how can I maybe get one of each in there? Um, And I'm going to try and find a middle ground and weigh them all pretty equally. But if you aren't really good at one of those things, probably a cross-off for me this week. Um, By the way, over a large period of time, the stats back this up too. Like, it's really balanced here in terms of what winners have done between proximity to the hole, which is the iron play that I was talking about, scrambling, short game that I was talking about, and kind of just finding a way to stay in the tournament. Um, And then, of course, driving distance. And every single year, the winner is elite at one of those things. They are either at the top of the field in driving distance and par five scoring, proximity to the hole or scrambling um every single year the winner is either top of the field at one of those things driving distance and par five scoring proximity to the hole or scrambling so you can take any of those routes uh but you have to be absolutely elite at one of them in my opinion to win the tournament So let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors before we dive right into the stats. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So last year, 13.5% of strokes gained uh, at Bay Hill came via off the tee, which is well below the tour average of 15.2%. Historically, that number rises all the way up to 16.2%, however. So, you know, it appears that last year was a bit of an anomaly and... um, Historically, off the tee at Bay Hill, and this makes loads of sense, has proven to be one of the more uh, important uh, factors in having success at this tournament. Last year, Bay Hill ranked fifth out of 38 courses in strokes gained off the tee difficulty, and each of the prior two years, it is ranked as the second hardest course in strokes gained off the tee difficulty. One thing that I found interesting about Bay Hill is that it actually ranks eighth out of 38 courses in driving distance on par fours and par fives, which would suggest that this is more of a club down course. And uh, driving distance here is 277 compared to the tour average of 283 yards. You know, I still think players are hitting driver on this course. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that um, fairways are pretty hard to hit on this course. And because the rough is so long at this course that the ball just almost immediately stops the second that it hits the rough. Um, I think that plays a factor in why the driving distance is on the lower side. But again, it features the 17th widest fairways on the PGA tour. So it's not Torrey Pines in that sense. It's not Harbor town in that sense. These fairways are certainly hittable. Um, and it ranked 10th out of 38 courses in miss fairway penalty. And it generally ranks harder than tour average in that category. 
the biggest reason for that is that it ranks fourth out of 38 courses in rough penalty. Uh, the rough at Bay Hill is a problem. And the closest thing to U.S. Open rough that players will experience all season. And it also ranks 11th out of 38 courses in fraction of missed fairways that result in a penalty stroke. Um, so unlike Torrey Pines, which again, I keep coming back to because that's a fairly obvious comp off the tee. Um, there's more trouble off the tee at Bay Hill. Last year, it ranked 8th out of 38 courses in penalty strokes per round um, and eighth out of 38 courses in reloads per round, which basically means, you know, having to hit a second tee ball if your first one goes in the water. Um, Each of the last eight years, it has ranked inside the top eight in both of those categories. And in terms of reloads per round, it is ranked as the number one course in reloads per round in both 2020 and 2019, and the number two course in reloads per round in 2021, 2018, and 2016. So what is this essentially saying is that, you know, you re- there's some hazards off the tee here, and the rough is a big deal. So you really, you it's a tough, tough, tough golf course off the tee, and you really have to look for some of those guys that are long and straight because they're really, really going to be behind the eight ball on a course like this if they're not driving the ball at a fairly elite level. Um, So there is a real penalty for wayward driving on this course. And, you know, I think where I land off the tee on this course is a fairly even balance between distance and accuracy. Like Torrey Pines, this is absolutely a course that completely penalizes short and inaccurate drivers of the ball. I think there is far more of a penalty for wayward driving at Bay Hill than there is at Torrey Pines. And I think Bryson's strategy of bombing and gouging was a bit of an anomaly. Doesn't mean it can't be done. Um But, you know, I've talked about the removal of trees and the widening of the fairways. And what's interesting is I think that is a this is a question that is going to come around a lot this week, especially considering the players that won this tournament uh, last year and, and how he won it is. Can you overpower this course off the tee? Um, or I guess I should say the last two years with Bryson and Scheffler, mainly Bryson. Like that's the question that you always ask with Bryson anytime he wins is, is this a course that can be overpowered? And I've gone back and forth. I think it kind of depends. One thing that I talk about a lot in my previews is, you know, is this a driver course, right? Like, let's first identify before we make any claims about the importance of off the tee. Like, are players actually hitting driver uh, here often, right? And do you actually possess an advantage for being a long, a really long and straight driver of the ball? And with Bay Hill, you look at the distance of drives and the firm and fast conditions. Now, This course does play at sea level, so that plays a role. But uh, distance of drives here has been, I guess, a lot lower 
than you would expect, which basically tells me that for whatever reason, guys still have some trepidation, not for whatever reason, it makes sense given the thickness of the rough and the amount of hazard, but guys are still laying back a little bit um, off the tee. And I think that also has to do with the shaved runoff areas. It's really easy now um, to hit the ball into the fairway bunkers and into the water here um, because of some of the shaved runoff areas that have been taken off with Chris Flynn, where on some of these tee shots, the super, super thick rough almost acted as a uh, backstop. And that is no longer the course uh, at Bay Hill this year. Um, Like, you know, Tyrrell Hatton and Francesco Molinari are far from dominant players off the tee, but Bryson was first in driving distance the year that he won. Rory was first in driving distance that year that he won. Jason Day was top 10 in driving distance the year that he won. Tiger for the second time, Martin Laird, both actually top five in driving distance. And when you look at the average over the last 10 years, winners have rated out 25th in driving distance and 33rd in driving accuracy. Um, So I do think you can kind of pick your poison a little bit, but I don't know if overpower is the right word. But I do think that distance matters here. Um, Mainly, I think it's because you have four par fives that are reachable by some, but not all, depending on the wind. And you really have to score on these par fives. I cannot emphasize enough how important the par fives are this week. I am really heavy on par five scoring this week. All four of the par fives have over a 32% birdie rate. Uh, Number 16 has, as I've already mentioned, a 5% eagle rate. And you look at how top 10 finishers have performed on par fives. They have really excelled at this course. Um, They've gained far more strokes um, relative to the par threes and par fours. So I do think longer players that have this ability to overpower and take advantage of these par fives have a massive advantage, right? Um, Because the par threes and the par fours are basically survivor mode, right? But you really, really, really have to take advantage of the par fives on this course. And I do think those longer holes that will be able to have shorter irons in um, the longer players on those longer holes, those guys that will have shorter irons in are going to have a big layup, uh, a big leg up, right? If you're hitting into some of the par fives, if you have a middle iron, right? Instead of having to, you know, hit uh, a wedge in as your third shot, if you have a middle to long iron in as your second shot, um, I think it's massively important on these par fives. Uh, I think the way that I would go about measuring driving on this course is an even split between good drive percentage on long courses and overall strokes gained off the tee on long courses as well. I am uh, incredibly concerned with what players can compete on long courses and 
what players are dead on arrival at long courses. Um, so I am looking at which players gain the most strokes off the tee on long courses. And I'm also looking at players that rate out the best in good drive percentage in long golf courses, which should help me identify out a lot of the guys that keep the ball off the play, uh, keep the ball in play off the tee on longer golf courses, right? Um, on driver heavy golf courses, because that I think is going to be absolutely essential this week. Uh, approach. So 31.9% of strokes gained at Bay Hill came via approach, which is well below the tour average of 34.7%. But again, that was a bit of an anomaly as historically that number jumps all the way up to 36.9%. So historically approach has proven to be uh, even more important than tour average on this course. It is a ball strikers course through and through. It ranked last year as the hardest course on the PGA Tour in strokes gained approach difficulty. And each of the last five years, it has ranked inside the top three in strokes gained approach difficulty. Combine that with the fact that it ranks inside the top five in uh, strokes gained off the tee difficulty. And you could make the argument that Bay Hill is pound for pound one of the hardest ball striking courses on the PGA tour, uh, especially when the greens firm out over the weekend, it is nearly impossible to stop a long iron on these greens. The margin for error is incredibly, incredibly slim. Last year, it featured the lowest greens and regulation percentage on the entire PGA Tour. And each of the last five years, it has ranked inside the top five in the hardest greens to hit on the PGA Tour. Uh, so to give even more credence to the firmness of these greens, it ranked as the number one course in strokes gain approach difficulty from over 150 yards. So like we saw last week with Hovland on the 18th hole, uh, you know, it's really freaking hard to stop a mid to long iron, iron approach shot on these greens over the weekend when they firm that firm up. And we saw that kind of play out in spades where last year it, featured the lowest greens and regulation percentage on the entire PGA tour. And inside the last five years, it's ranked inside the top five and hardest green set on the PGA tour. And, uh, you know, we saw it last year with Hovland on the 18th hole. It's nearly impossible to stop a long iron approach shot on these greens over the weekend. Um, and it's a long iron course through and through. Like you look at the proximity buckets that typically rank above tour average here. It's 150 to 175, 175 to 200, and 200 yards plus. And uh, last year, 30.6% of approach shots came from over 200 yards, which is well above the tour average of 22.9%. So that is a massive disparity. And... This can be explained by the fact that every single one of the par threes on this course measure over 199 yards. Five of the par fours measure over 450 yards. And every single one of the par fives measure between 511 and 590 yards and are reachable in two. So 
you add all of that together and it's like what 13 of 18 shots on this course could potentially come from close to 200 yards um so huge huge weight on long iron play for me one of the heaviest that i am on long iron play all season uh and then short game which is the other really really key thing for me where last year 20.7 percent of strokes gained at bay hill came via around the green which is well above the tour average of 14.5 percent um last year was a bit of an anomaly um as short game was just huge last year and 18 of the top 20 players on the leaderboard last year gained strokes around the green historically that number falls to 14.7 percent which is still a touch above tour average um but overall i mean short game really matters this week like last year bay hill ranked six out of 38 courses in around the green difficulty which again, a bit of an anomaly as it usually ranks close to middle of the pack and around the green difficulty. Um, but there's just, even with uh, the increase of more collection areas over the past couple of years, one of the things that Chris Flynn has worked on, there's still just a ton of thick rough around the greens here. Um, so when you usually miss a green, it's going to stop pretty quickly in either a bunker or the thick rough. And, you know, both being in a bunker and the thick rough and the fairway chipping off tight Bermuda for what it's worth. Like none of those are fun. Um, last year it ranked 11th out of 38 courses in around the green difficulty from the fairway second out of 38 courses in around the green difficulty from the rough and 13th out of 38 courses in around the green difficulty from the bunkers. So this is one of the heaviest I have been on around the green all season not just because it can be incredibly difficult to chip out of the extremely thick rough at Bay Hill, but also just the sheer volume of how important around the greens is on a course with such a low greens and regulation percentage. Once we get to putting, um, I'm just a little bit lower on putting this week just because I think this is such a ball strikers course through and through, but Last year, uh, Bay Hill ranked second out of 38 courses in putting difficulty, which is a pretty big anomaly as each of the last years it's ranked outside of the top 10 in putting difficulty. So I'm not sure why it was so difficult to hold putts on last year. Um, it ranked ninth out of 38 courses in putting difficulty inside five feet second out of 38 courses in putting difficulty from five to 15 feet and fourth out of uh 38 courses in putting difficulty greater than 15 feet so like i am going to end up going with the long form data here when it comes to the putting at bay hill which is essentially like you know 32 percent of uh, strokes gain came via the flat stick at Bay Hill, which is well below the tour average because it's just a course that places so much of an emphasis on ball striking. But I still have a fairly standard weight on Bermuda putting this week because um, this is a grainy Bermuda course. Like, this is not an overseeded. American Express or Waste Management at Phoenix Open, like these past two weeks with the Honda Classic, and and you've seen it in some of the short putts, like you need to be comfortable on Bermuda, 
and be comfortable reading grain. And um, I want to identify guys that have a proven track record of success on like true Florida Bermuda courses. Looking through the scoring stats, um, you know, I often look at par five scoring on most par 72s and Bay Hill is no different. Um, As with how hard the par three and par fours are on this course, it is absolutely essential to score on the par fives and top 10 finishers have gained far more strokes to the field relative to their peers on par fours and par threes. And then I'm going right back to difficult scoring conditions. Um, Since we've had this new superintendent and they started really firming the course up and growing out the rough, it's just a really damn difficult golf course. And even if we get the par fives and even if we don't get a ton of win, players have talked about how, you know, it can play like a major. And especially the year that Hatton won, when the wind gets going, it's just an absolute grind fest. So if you want to put in scrambling or bogey avoidance, like I have no problem with either of those. I chose to roll with just difficult scoring conditions in, in general to kind of help me weed out the players that raise their baseline in U.S. Open conditions, major championship conditions, you know, courses like Quail Hollow and, and uh, Muirfield Village and Torrey Pine, stuff like that. Uh, and then with course history, uh, I, one of the things I generally look at is how players perform on their debut. How often do we see players play well on their first appearance? And, you know, it's definitely possible. Sungjae finished third on his debut. Fleetwood finished top 10 in his debut. Hatton finished fourth on his debut. Mitchell finished sixth on his debut. Wallace finished sixth on his debut. Merritt finished third on his debut, but not a lot of winners, right? Like you can play well here, but in terms of actually taking down the trophy, uh, it hasn't really been kind to a lot of first timers. Um, I don't think there are a ton of tricks to the course. I think it's just really hard. Um, but you do see that there are a certain group of guys that pretty much play well here every single year and it's Rory and Bryson and Sergio and Sungjae and Fleetwood and Fitzpatrick. And guess what? What is the one thing that those guys all have in common? They are awesome at one of the big three things that I talked about, which is power off the tee, uh, long iron play and scrambling slash short game. Uh, and then in terms of like pure course history correlation, it's up there, right? It ranks fifth. The only courses that have proven to have a higher correlation with course history are Wiley, TPC Scottsdale, Augusta, and Harbortown. So I still have a fairly hefty weight on course history here. Um, and then in terms of comp courses, like the ones that come to mind for me, uh, and I know we don't have a ton on this course anymore because it basically hosted a WGC event from like 2012 to 2017, but Doral, uh, former host of the now extinct WGC Cadillac championship. That is a course that I've played. It is a flat golf course with a lot of water that is hard that you're going to hit a lot of long irons in on. So I think that's a really 
really damn good comp. And then another long iron intensive Bermuda grass course with harder scoring conditions is Quail Hollow, which I find to be another extremely worthy comparison. And what do you know? You look at the leaderboard there and Rory McIlroy, Keith Mitchell, Jason Day, it's all the guys, it's all those same guys uh, showing up, right? And you know, there's other things you can look at, like some Arnold Palmer courses. I wouldn't necessarily go down that route because he doesn't really have an overhanging design philosophy uh, the way maybe a Jack Nicklaus or, or a Pete Dye does or even a Bill Core and a Ben Crenshaw. Um, but yeah, the other courses that I think deserve mention, Muirfield Village because of the thicker, rough, and firm greens. PGA National, um, in some regards, although the rough at PGA National is a little bit less penal and par five scoring and long iron play aren't as important as it is at Bay Hill, obviously, but you still get a firm and fast Bermuda course that is exposed to wind and a lot of bunkers. Short game, you know, and scrambling really, really matters on that course, um, And not to mention, if you look at the top 10 that week at Olympia Fields, which was host to the 2021 BMW Championship and will be host to the 2023 BMW Championship this year again, it's like Hideki, Kokrak, Fitzpatrick, Adam Scott, Rory, Hatton, Paul Casey. Um, Like, what do those guys all have in common? Olympia Fields and Bay Hill. They're all really good at both. So I plugged all of this stuff into a model. And because I was pretty standard with uh, the like balanced approach of elite scrambler slash short game, power off the tee and elite long iron play, you are getting a lot of chalk with my top 20 with a couple surprises. So let's dive right into it. For my full uh, model inputs, uh, the weights and who it all shot out and who did the best in specific categories, you can find all of that in my article, which will be posted tomorrow on rickrenkit.com. But here's the top 20 for me. So number one, Rory McIlroy. Uh, Really no big surprises there. I think this is a pretty damn good golf course for Rory McIlroy. In fact, if I was designing a dream golf course with Rory McIlroy, it would look a lot like Bay Hill. Number two is Xander Shoffley, uh, who I have a little bit of Bermuda concerns about. But again, like in terms of what this place looks like from tee to green, This is about as good as you can get for Xander Shoffley. I mean, I think the only thing that I would change would that be, I wish that it was on bent grass over Bermuda grass, but so be it. His Bermuda grass track record, when you look into it, isn't actually as bad as I had thought. Number three, John Rahm, same boat. And I think these three guys, uh, this is another course where we talked about it, Torrey Pines. Like, I just think Rory, Xander, Rahm, and... A couple other guys that I'm going to talk about in the top 10 possess such an advantage on the first tee on a golf course like this because of their elite long iron play and ability to drive the ball long and straight. 
Uh, number four is Sung JM, who has an incredibly well-rounded game. And I don't know. He had kind of a middling finish at the Honda Classic. So I'm kind of curious to see what ownership is. I might be right back there. Number five is Will Zalatoris, uh, which is not a guy that I typically bet. I have not ever throughout uh, the course of my career been a big Zalatoris. I, I like him, like I root for him. He's just not somebody that I've found often on my betting card. I've definitely bet him before, but it's been few and far between. Um, he is a bet this week. Uh, and I do not, just talking to some of my group chats, I do not think that I will be alone on that. Um, I usually stay out of the community win stuff. It, it generally just isn't my jam, but um, I'm betting Will Zalatoris this week. I just think that he checks too many of the boxes for me that I care about. And it's really about the number. Is that like, I would like to bet Rory here at 10 to 1 because I think that Rory out of the Rom Scheffler group, Rom Scheffler Rory group, who I believe the th- to be the three best players in the world right now. I think Rory is the most due. I think he has the best course history on this course. Um, I think he is probably going to present the most value out of those three based on how quote unquote poorly that he looked at um, Riviera and Phoenix. But like Roy McIlroy is still probably going to be like 10 to one. So, you know, do I really want to bet Rory at 10 to one and have one more guy in the fifties or sixties? I, I just don't know. I think I'd rather bet Will at hopefully 25 to 30, um, and then have a little, you know, maybe Cantlay, maybe Morikawa, maybe Hideki, maybe Matthew Patrick, uh, in the holster for me. I, I just think for me that, that, that is something that I'm a little bit more attracted to than just going all in on a guy like Rory at 10 to one, who knows, like if there's a tremendous amount of value on Rory and this goes back to DraftKings too, if he's the guy that starts slipping a little bit and you know, you start seeing some 14 to ones on Rory McIlroy, just because, you know, you got John Rahm and, uh, Scotty Scheffler out here winning and Rory finished like 29th the last two starts, then yeah, I could maybe see myself being talked into a 14 to one on uh, on Rory. But right now, pretty high likelihood that Will Zalatoris will be on my betting card. Uh, Scotty Scheffler is number six. Defending champion, what more can we say about Scotty? Number seven is Patrick Cantlay, which surprised me because he is another like Xander guy where the Bermuda concerns me. Um, There's just certain players that still have a bit of an issue on certain surfaces. And uh, I think there is a reason why Patrick Cantlay never plays Florida golf. Um, So I have to dig into him a little bit more. I love the way that he hit the ball last week at Riviera, and I'm very curious to see what his opening number is. Um, but that's a tentative for me. Max Homa, what else is there to say? I've just never been there for any of them. And if he's your guy and if you've been cashing on him, then by all means. But, 
you know, it's hard to start thinking like, okay, is he going to just continue to win now and win what, like five times in nine starts or whatever, when I haven't been cashing off on his, um, I've actually won a couple like fading him matchups when he hasn't ended up winning, but I haven't, I haven't ever hit Max Oma as an outright winner. So, uh, I don't know if now's the week where I start Tony Finau, number nine, (sighs) TBD on old Tony, um, Checks a lot of boxes as well, but he's another guy that I have some questions about on Bermuda. Number 10 is Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, great golf course for Tommy Fleetwood. Have some concerns about the long iron play. Number 11 is Colin Morikawa, who I'm looking at very closely here. Now, I don't think that on paper this is a typical Morikawa course just because you look at how purely long this place is, but... You know, man, did he look good at the President's Cup at Quail Hollow. And man, he almost, you know, he had, he was tied for the lead on the back nine at a U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. He's a top three long iron player in the world. So you're out of your mind if part of your reasoning for not playing Colin here is that it's too long of a golf course for him. Uh, his long iron play is immaculate. I mean, he is better with a long iron play with a 210-yard shot than many guys on the PGA Tour are from a 180-yard shot. So I would say that outside of Xander, the other two guys that I'm monitoring pretty closely are um, Scheffler and Cantlay and more not 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 really Scheffler but Cantlay and Morikawa uh and then Bing Ben Griffin 12 what a bit of a surprise Tom Kim 13 you're starting to see a little regression uh to the norm with Tom Kim which is something I've been saying which is he's not a superstar he's not the second coming he's a fine player but now he's gonna be 50 to one at some of these events and there I think it's fair to maybe take a chance but I I just I don't know I don't know um I don't know how much I love this golf course on paper for him but he still remains like Morikawa for how short he is off the tee a really really capable long iron player Jason Day is 14 Justin Thomas is 15 Tom Hoagie, 16, former champion Tyrrell Hatton, 17, Alex Smalley, 18, Shane Lowry, 19, Aaron Wise, 20. So a lot of the guys that uh, we've been hearing about a lot with these elevated fields, a lot of chalk up top. It's been really hard for me to run a model these days without, you know, it looking a lot like Finau, Homa, Rory, Rom, Xander, Scheffler at the top, right? And and I think golf is in a good place. And I think we have a group of 10 to 12 players that are like just incredible athletes um, and incredibly good options at a lot of these elevated, elevated courses. So, um, Excited for this week. We will have Chris Powers on the podcast to talk a little 
Riviera. We spent some time at Riviera this past weekend. We'll talk a little uh, Netflix full swing. We both uh, finally made it through that. Uh, I've got some takes on that one. And then we've also got a great betting board, I'm sure, to break down as well. So best of luck with your bets this weekend. And we will see you next time. Cheers.